Did you know when The Atlantic magazine asked a dozen scientists, historians, and technologists to rank the top innovations since the wheel, their number one selection was the printing press, followed by electricity and penicillin? We'll discuss this and other interesting facts about creativity and innovation with writer, podcaster, and coach for creatives, Azolda Trachtenberg, on this episode of The Curious Professor. I'm Dr. B. Welcome to the Curious Professor podcast, where I take listeners on a journey of discovery to explore the people, places, artifacts, and natural wonders that spark my curiosity. On this episode of the Curious Professor podcast, we'll explore creativity and innovation with author, speaker, and educator Isolde Trachtenberg. But first, a trivia question. What percentage of people have creative insights in the shower? I'll have the answer for you at the end of this episode. I'm thrilled to have Azolda Trachtenberg on the show today. Azolda believes innovation isn't just about the latest fad. It's about thinking creatively while you're on a mission. This refreshing approach has made her a sought-after speaker, online educator, and coach for creatives and business leaders. Azolda has released four books on communication, collaboration, and self-improvement. Nowadays, you'll find her speaking at conferences, looking for the next great ocean beach, or singing for hundreds of people all while interviewing peak performers on innovation, creative thinking, and mindfulness on her hit podcast, The Innovative Mindset. When I learned about Azolda's passion for creativity and innovation, my curiosity was immediately piqued and I wanted to learn more. I hope this interview with Azolda will spark your curiosity too. Welcome back to the show, Azolda. It's great to have you here again. Thank you, Karen, for having me. This is super fun. I really appreciate it. You've stated that you split your time between being creative and teaching other people how to unlock their own creative genius. Tell us more about that. Wow, it's a great question. The thing about the thing about being creative is I believe we are all creative. We all have sort of a particular creative genius inside us. And so I'm creative in that I'm a musician and I'm a writer and I'm a performer and I do all of those things. And I'm also actually doing this fun project where I'm creating a digital piece of art every single day for a year to see what that does to my creative brain. And that's been incredibly fulfilling and inspiring. And so I do creativity every single day. I do something creative every day. And I think having a creative practice is paramount to us as beings because from the very earliest cave paintings, we know that people were being creative. And so, and, you know, probably they were hitting sticks on, on stones and things like that. So, so we know the creativity is part of our lives and it's our birthright, but a lot of people forget. And a lot of people think they're not creative. And a lot of people who are in more sort of, you could say, left brain careers might think, oh, I'm not creative. I don't have any of that. And what's really fascinating is when you go to a company full of engineers who think that they don't have a creative bone in their body and you do a fun creativity exercise with them and they open up and they remember that they used to love making up stories when they were children. And some of those people end up with writing practices and they become reacquainted with their own creativity. And so that's what I do. I go into work 
organizations and I go into companies and I work coach, I coach individuals on how to recover or rediscover that sense of creativity inside themselves, that artistic sense, because it can inform and enrich your whole life. And so when, for example, Spotify corporate, not Spotify, sort of just the, oh, I put my podcast up there, but Spotify corporate wanted me to come and actually do a podcast, believe it or not, with all 4,000 of their employees. I did a podcast on creativity and mindfulness, and it was sort of a kind of a radio show where I gave advice on how to do that. And the the person I talked to, she said, you know, one of the things is we have a bunch, we have thousands of engineers working for us, and we need for them to really remember that they're these creative people. And so that's your job as old is to help them be creative and also to help them be mindful. And so I combine mindfulness and creativity to help especially people who don't think they are creative, rediscover their inner creative genius so that they can play and think and dream and innovate and come up with great new ideas. What do you believe is the relationship between curiosity and creativity? Ooh, that's such a good question. So the thing to me about curiosity is it is, there are a couple sentences or phrases that I think epitomize curiosity and they are imagine if, or what if, or I wonder if, And those those are open-ended questions. And so to me, creativity takes a certain amount of curiosity at its very core. I think we need to, in order to make something that never existed before, like you do with creativity, you need something that makes you go, I wonder what would happen if, or I know what let's do. So anytime you awaken that part of your brain, anytime you awaken that part of yourself, you immediately are in a curious state just to see what if it could be done? What if I were to try it. So that part of our brain, when it's fired up, it's very similar to the part of our brain that's that creative part. And then there are other parts, you know, like when you're singing, I found out recently that when you're singing or playing a musical instrument, you are using pretty much every hemisphere of your brain. And I love that. And curiosity is part of it because in order to fulfill that urge to be creative, you have to be curious about something to begin with. So they're inextricably tied together and they allow, again, for that exploration and that imagination to really take flight. And how are creativity and innovation related to each other? Oh, <laughs> I love the questions you're asking. So as I said, creativity is create. It's making something that didn't exist before, whether it's a, a piece of art, like a painting or playing music or writing a poem or a book. To me, innovation is something that's a little different. It's using that creative thinking, that creative mindset to solve a problem, right? To me, innovation is creative thinking plus action. So when you're looking to innovate, what you're trying to do is to solve a problem in a new way. That new way at its core, again, needs that creative thinking, that 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 right part of your brain that's going to go, oh, imagine if, I wonder if this could be solved that way. So to innovate, you're trying to solve a problem. You're trying to do something different, something better, and to create it so that it is, again, creative creativity, right? But to create it so that it, it solves that problem, but in a unique and better way, you need that creative impetus to begin with. And most of us are familiar with the quote, ideas are a dime a dozen, and it's the implementation or execution of those ideas that are of the greatest value. So is this related then to what you were talking about, the relationship between creativity and innovation? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's the whole point, actually. Having a great idea is lovely, but if you don't act on that idea, then it sits and probably stagnates. So to me, the way I look at it, like for writers, for example, I say, no one's going to tell the story you're going to tell. No one will be able to because they'll never have that experience. But the same thing goes for singing a song. Even, even when I sing Summertime, now it's been sung by some of the most famous singers in the world, in the history of the world. And I sing my version of Summertime. It's different than anybody else's because it comes with my sensibilities, my history, my thoughts, and most of all, my ideas about what that song means. And so in order to put that forth, I have to have my ideas. That's the creative part. But to express that creativity, to act on it becomes very important to anyone who wants to be innovative or creative. And if you're trying to innovate, like you're trying to solve a problem, for example, uh, I can take Lyft and Uber are great examples of innovations that didn't exist even 10, 15 years ago. When you look at them, they were looking at the idea of there was a monopoly on the by the taxi cab industry. And what if we could make Make it a little bit more democratized. What if we did something different? Now, I remember thinking when I first when I first saw Uber and then Lyft be sort of become more and more ubiquitous, I went, wait a minute, how aren't there licenses they have to like, how are they doing that? I didn't understand how they could possibly do it, but they figured out a way. And it turned out that it, the only reason that they required licensing was because the taxi cabs said that they required licensing. Apparently those laws weren't even on the books. So when Travis, what's his name, decided to make that that innovation, he went, you know what, we're just going to do it. We're going to solve the problem this way. We're going to democratize the way people get from here to there. And whatever you think of him personally, that to me is a real testament to the notion of, you know what, if you don't try it, someone else will. So why not try it? And you've stated that innovation isn't just about the latest fad. It's about communicating and collaborating creatively. Tell us more about that. Well, it's the same thing as actually, as I was just saying, having the idea is lovely. If you want it to work though, don't try to be all things to all people, communicate the idea, get collaborators, work on it and actually make it come to fruition. Now, we may not be able to do the transporters like Star Trek, but boy, the tricorder, when you're looking at and and identifying how we see inside the body, a lot of that stuff was actually inspired directly by people who watch Star Trek. Flip phones is another great example. I know that's old technology now, but the flip phone was like the communicator in Star Trek. That's what inspired it. So when we talk about this, we're talking about doing it with other people because having the idea is great, but implementing the idea often takes a team and communicating and collaborating is how we do that. So Uber, Lyft, and some of the other innovations that have come down the pike. Smartphones is another good example. No one person went, I'm going to make a smartphone and just made it, right? There are so many components. And so don't try to do it all at once. And instead, find the teams that you need to work with, explain your vision, explain your idea, get their input because they know their jobs better than you do, and then work together on the best way to deliver the best innovative product. So it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village to create something out of nothing, apparently, and to innovate. It, well, it can. Certainly, I mean, for example, if I'm if I were painting uh, a painting with pigment, the days of me coming out and finding and crushing the berries that are going to give me the red and crushing, they're long gone, right? I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy my, my pigments 
pigmented paints. So somebody else has had to do that. Now, I didn't have to collaborate with them. I didn't have to specifically go, can you make me some burnt umber that I didn't have to do that? However, the store needs to stock it or I might need to order it. So there are always communication facets to any piece of art or creativity. The same thing goes for writing a book. I just had a book come out. I was never going to be able to print it on my own. I needed somebody else to help with the printing. I needed somebody else to to do the cover design, for example. And so I didn't, I, I had my idea and I'm lucky I have the most amazing cover designer and I'm able to give her these meager ideas that I have and communicate them and together we collaborate into making it something that every time I look at it my jaw drops so again those kinds of 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 creative endeavors are going to take a team they're going to take people you can work with but at the same time if I want to sit down and I just want to sing a song by myself I can if it's some if it's a song someone else wrote though I'm still part of a team if it's a song I wrote I can look at it like okay that's my creativity but at the same time. Yeah. If I'm playing the guitar and I took lessons or I took singing lessons again, this was a team effort to get me to get me to this point. I think we are the sum of all of our deeds and thoughts and experiences up to this point. And then tomorrow will be something a little different. It takes us and it takes all the things that we think and all the people that we know and all the ideas that we have to make who we are and then to make us the creative people we're meant to be. And you mentioned your book. Um, You just released it. What a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, August, August 9th. Yes. Um, And it is called Die by the Sword, a Casey Belmont tarot reader mystery. Tell us about that story. Wow. So in addition to some of the other things I do, I'm a professional tarot card reader and I've been reading cards for over 30 years. And uh, if you read the book, you'll you'll notice some similarities between me and Cassie. She and I have shared some things. She's also a professional tarot card reader and she uh, her family comes from Moldova, which is where I was born. That's pretty much where the similarities end. But but the point of the book is that I wanted to write a story where the detective, a mystery novel, where the detective wasn't a police officer. Cassie, my professional tarot card reader, is the detective in in these books. And while there have been other librarians who are uh, detectives, there have been certainly plenty of police officers and private investigators who are detectives in the mystery novel. There's never been a professional tarot card reader. So I went, you know what, How, how would I do that? How would I combine the more spiritual and innovative and intuitive aspects of reading tarot cards with a hard-boiled mystery novel. And so I, I decided to do that. And the book is about, um, she, Cassie, my main character, she works with the police to find kidnapping victims. That's that's what she does. She doesn't do anything else. But suddenly, and this takes place in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area, and suddenly someone starts killing people and leaving them in tableau like Cassie's tarot cards and exactly like her cards. And so the police bring her in because they're going, what's going on? And so she has to figure out who's doing this and catch him before he strikes again. And that is the mystery surrounding the very first one. And the reason it's called Die by the Sword is that like the regular playing cards, we have spades, diamonds, hearts, and clubs. In tarot, we have spades, our swords, and then we have cups, our hearts, diamonds, our coins, and clubs are rods. And so the first book is called Die by the Sword because it's about the suit of swords. And the next three are going to be about the cups, the rods, and the coins. So when are you anticipating that your uh, future books in the series will be released? 
yay, yay, yay. I've started writing book two. And I if if I could somehow make it happen before the holiday season, I would love to. But this is my busy season with a lot of other things going on. So I'm not sure I'll be able to, but that is my goal is to have book two out. I, and I don't know if this if you if you do this too, Karen. I know you're an author yourself. I have the books, all all four of the books in my head. And now I have to write these three next books and I just have to find the time to get them down, to actually get the words down. But the, the what happens is already up in my head. Does that happen to you too? Uh, sometimes, yes. Other times, no. Sometimes it's happened that I've written myself into a corner and anticipated books mm. in a series fail to materialize because mm. I haven't planned out a series well. So I'm glad to hear that you're planning your series out well. I don't know if it's well, but it's planned. It's planned. <laughs> I because this happens to me when I'm writing uh, a lot, actually, with fiction. I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. And suddenly where I thought it was going is not where it's going. And I'm going, wait, how did, what, how did that, ha I don't, and this happened in Die by the Sword too, where the things that I wrote at the very beginning of the book and I went, oh, okay, that's interesting. Later on, I go, oh, so that's why I wrote that thing on page five. I didn't understand. And the same thing happened in my Fairy Godmother Diary series, which is an urban fantasy fantasy series, something I wrote in book one that I didn't quite understand, didn't get really resolved until book two. And only then did I understand why that little hook kept me there. Why I said, you know, no, I'm going to leave this in, even though for the moment, it doesn't make any sense. But it's like your brain has a much bigger idea of what's actually going on than what your 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 prefrontal cortex is thinking about in the moment. Yes, definitely a lot of stuff going on in the subconscious or the muse, the universe, whatever you however you want to conceptualize that greater <laughs> part sure. of our creativity. And you also designed your own tarot deck, which I think is interesting. And I love it. I have my own set that I purchased from Yay. you. So if you'd like to just talk about that for a minute, that would be great. Oh, sure. So the, it's called the practical tarot. And the reason I called it that is because what I didn't want is to make this uh, a woo-woo thing. It's actually, to me, tarot card reading is about harnessing your intuition and imagination and storytelling. And so what I do when I read is I look at the symbols and images on the cards and I relate them to one another to tell the story of the reading. That's how I do it. I'm not psychic at all. I don't have any of that. I've had myself tested and I'm a little below average, actually. So I'm not psychic at all. And neither is Cassie, uh, interestingly, in, in Die by the Sword. She's not psychic either. That's not what she does. But but the thing is that I wanted to, and I've, I've used one deck. Mary Hansen Roberts created the one deck I've used since 1985 when I started reading and the year the deck came out. And I loved the deck. I just loved it. I thought it was great. But then I realized over time that I wanted something even easier, even more evocative of story than even Mary Hansen Roberts, whose deck I love. She's a friend of mine. I adore her. Uh, and I love her deck, but I wanted something even easier to read. I wanted something that, that would just really spark the storytelling inspiration. And so during COVID, I went, hmm, let me think. What if I were to, no, I don't have any kind of gift in that. Or what? No. And then I went, no, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And so using some of my own meager drawing and painting skills and also Canva and Photoshop, I developed this deck, which at first was a 78 card deck, like traditional tarot decks are. And I was working with it and I thought, oh, this is great. And immediately upon getting it, by the way, I started reading with it. And even though I'd only read with the Hanson Roberts and none of the other decks told me stories, this one immediately did. It was like a, something snapped and I was ready. But the thing about it is, is that what happened is 
as I was reading with it, I went, you know, to me, tarot is about the different facets of the human experience, like 78 different ways we can live on this world. And then I went, you know what? There are a couple of things missing. And so I added six more cards. And so this deck is instead of being 78, it's 84. And I added passion, which there really isn't like passion for ideas, passion for things, and also passion for love. There really isn't a particular card that says that. And I added adventure because there's no card about that. And I added process because we don't talk about process. A lot of people look at tarot and they think, oh, what the goal is, what's going to happen to me in a year? Will I get this job? Those kinds of things. And to me, the process of being human, the process of going through our lives is really important. And so I wanted a card to really depict that. So I added it in and I added something a little tough too. I added envy because that's not something else that is uh, really addressed in the traditional tarot deck, but it is part of the human experience. Everyone in the world, even the Dalai Lama, probably has experienced envy, even if only for a second, if you experience it, it's part of the human condition. And so I wanted the tarot deck to be really easy to read. And I wanted it to be really representative of all of the facets that I could think of, of the human experience and the human condition. And so when I was developing the deck and I started writing the book, I went, you know what? The deck is Cassie's deck. And in fact, in the book, Cassie has had someone create a deck for her. She's the only one in the world who reads with this deck. And so, and when I was writing about it, that's the deck I was seeing is the deck I created. Now, mine, you can get other people can have this deck, but in in the world of Cassie Belmont, she's the only one in the world who has that deck. And what do you love most about your new book? So I love that there are some twists in it that will just knock your socks off. Uh, I I really, I'm, I'm honored that the muse decided to gift that to me because I did not expect it when I started writing. And yep, there, there are some twists that are like, what? So that was a lot of fun. And also it was, it was an opportunity to demystify tarot, which I really have always wanted to do. I've always wanted to make tarot something that is more commonplace because I was born in Moldova and my great grandmother taught me how to read regular playing cards when I was four years old. And it's just what you do. It's not woo woo. It's not any anything really, except for you just draw the cards and throw them out and see what they say. And so you're not asking for any kind of real spiritual guidance in the way I read tarot. That's not what it is. And so I wanted to bring a little bit more of that out as far as who who can read, who should read with cards. I think anybody who wants to get more insight into their own lives could and should grab a deck and read because it's it's just that. It's just a tool, a focusing tool to help you do what you want to do and live the way you want to live. And even though this book is fiction, and obviously some things are fictionalized as far as readings are concerned, this is very accessible. And that's what I was going for as part of writing this book. And is there anything else you'd like to tell us about you or your work? Me and my work. Well, I, let's see. What an open-ended question, Karen. For me, I think the the whole point of of working and telling stories is that we are all able to do it. And so I my goal in everything is to hopefully inspire people to create, to teach people to create. My work is almost always about people who are creative. There's no book I've written that isn't about self-development in the nonfiction world. And in the fiction world, it's all about artists and musicians. Characters in the books are always that because I think we and I really need creativity in order to thrive. And for me, everything about the 
process of writing this book, of of doing my daily art, of making music, of working with kids to save the earth, because I worked as an environmental educator for NASA for many years. All of that is about getting inspired to act, to do something, to make changes, to make waves, to know that we have agency to act. That's really the best way to put it. We, we can act. We can make waves. We can make change. And together, if we do it together, if we collaborate, if we create, if we communicate, if we're confident, if we're curious, we can change the world. And where can listeners find out more about you? There are a couple of different places. If you want to know more about the writing and the books, IsoldaTauthor.com is the best way to find out about the fiction books and the writing that I'm doing. And if you are interested in knowing more about sort of my creativity and mindfulness and communication, uh, speaking and workshops, that's at Isolda, T-I-Z-O-L-D-A-T, T for Trachtenberg, it's just very long, uh, IsoldaT.com. And you can find me there. If you want to know more about uh, readings, like tarot readings, you can go to readings.isoldat.com. <laughs> And I have also started doing a lot of work on TikTok. That's my favorite platform right now. Uh, I'm doing a lot of videos on communication in professional settings and relationships, how to develop teams, how to develop collaborations, and how to use your creative genius to work with others, but in community. So that's my TikTok channel. And that's, I am, if you want to find me, Isolde T is pretty much everywhere. And TikTok is also at Isolde T. It was great to have you on the show, Isolde. Thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Curious Professor podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. This has been a delight. And now for the answer to this episode's trivia question. What percentage of people have creative insights in the shower? According to Fast Company's article, Seven Surprising Facts About Creativity According to Science, in a survey conducted by Scott Barry Kaufman, 72% of people around the world reported having some kind of new insight in the shower. We'll end the show with something punny. Why are shovels considered innovative? Because they're groundbreaking. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Curious Professor podcast. If there's a person, place, artifact, or natural wonder that has sparked your curiosity and you'd like for me to feature it on the show, please let me know. My website is thecuriousprofessorpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe to The Curious Professor Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to become part of my community of curiosity seekers, be sure to visit my website, thecuriousprofessorpodcast.com, and join Dr. B's Hive. Until next time, always be learning and be curious with Dr. B. Dr. B.